thing. We all do that as children. You, you did that from day one. We all did that. You, you wanted to do some good. As you got older, you, you kind of want to do some good to, to earn some brownie points. And I don't know if that ever leaves us as men. We kind of tend to do that with our spouses. Sometimes we have that tendency that we do certain things to earn some brownie points. We, we want to do good to earn something. That's the, our human nature. That's our tendency. So first of all, let's take a look, a look at this man here in Matthew 19. This man that came to Jesus, who was he? Matthew, here in Matthew in verse 20, it says that he was a young man. Now you can also read this account in Mark and in Luke. Mark doesn't really say much about who the man is, but in Luke, it does say that he was a ruler. And all three of the Gospels we can read in the, in the account of this story, we read of that he had wealth. He had lots of possessions. So he, we call him the rich young ruler. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he asks here in verse 16, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And if you notice in verse 17, Jesus' response, and Larry had alluded to this already, how Jesus responds and he says, he tells him to keep my commandments. If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So why didn't he go and just spell out how the the plan of salvation or the, the gospel in a nutshell? He just said, keep the commandments and you're going to live. And the young man asks, which commandments? And so Jesus responds and he names some of those Ten Commandments. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 there. I want to look at the few verses here. 25, especially through 29. Here is another story, another account of a certain lawyer, and he comes to Jesus here, and he asks the same question. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Here Jesus asks the question back to him. And the man, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willingly, willingly to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And then you have the parable there of the Good Samaritan. But I want us to notice especially that he asked the same question, and basically, Jesus gives the same response as he did to the man in Matthew. Keep the commandments, and you will live. Sounds doable, doesn't it? Or does it? Keep the commandments. Our text here in Matthew, going back to Matthew again, he tells the young man to keep the commandments 
And here he asks the lawyer, the lawyer, and he asks the lawyer, what is written in the law? And the man there in Luke, he responds with the two greatest commandments. He knew what to answer. Jesus said, you answered right, this do and you will live. And so to both of these men with their question, his response is very similar in telling them to keep the commandments. Now let's look at how, here in Matthew, how that the rich young ruler responds about keeping the commandments. He says, I've done all this. I've kept them from my youth. I've kept every one of them. And then he says, what lack I yet? I think on the outside, for this man, it would appear like he had it all together. He was young. He was rich. He was wealthy. And so he had it all. What more could he want? And he kept all the commandments. These commandments that Jesus listed, he kept them, or so it appears. And yet his question reveals that he senses that there is something missing. While it appears like this man had it all, I don't think he does. Otherwise, he wouldn't come to Jesus asking for something. And especially asking about eternal life. Because I think that every good Jew... And I, I'm assuming that this man was a Jew. But every, every good Jew already knew that answer, what it takes to have eternal life. To get a, eternal life, you need to obey the commandments and, and to uh, the, the commandments of God and avoid sin. They knew that. And so these two accounts that I, we just looked at, they, they responded in the same way, and Jesus gave them the direction of keeping the commandments. They knew the law. And yet his question of what he still lacked shows that he didn't think his obedience was enough to gain salvation. To him, there still had to be some good work that was over and above the keeping of the law. He felt like there was something more that he needed that would give him certainty of eternal life. In the Old Testament, the keeping of the commandments was an expression of faith. And it's so in the, in the New Testament also. Jesus was not saying that salvation was by works of obedience, but he was saying that obedience is the evidence of faith. And a true believer obeys the commands of God. Jesus was emphasizing that. And yet I think that Jesus knew exactly this man's heart. He could see right through this man, and he knew what was lacking in this man. This man asked, what do I lack? He sensed there was something missing in his life. I'm assuming that he probably heard some of Jesus' teaching before this. Why else did he come asking, what do I need to do? He probably heard Jesus, some of Jesus' teaching prior to this. And so Jesus responds to his question of what do I lack? Here in verse 21, this is a verse that we look at and we say, how can this be or how does this apply to myself today? I mean, Jesus really got to the point. Verse 21, Jesus said, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, 
and come and follow me. I mean, I look at this verse and I think this is a big order. Is this really what we, what I need to do? Is this really what it means? It says here, go sell. He tells the man, go sell all that you have. Maybe it doesn't say all. It says, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So here he's getting a little deeper. Before he said, keep the commandments and you're going to live. The rich young ruler thought he had it all. He had worked hard and had a lot of money. And I think he kept God's laws faithfully. He said he did. And so really it looks like he was earning his way to heaven by doing, by keeping the law. And Jesus simply is saying to the rich young ruler, you have put your faith and trust in your wealth and accomplishments. And in doing so, he was actually pushing God away. You can't earn your way into heaven. And this story of the, the rich young ruler here, and it ends, it says that the, that the young man, verse 23, 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Kind of ends in a sad way. This man walked away sorrowful. And, the, and if you look at the word sorrowful here, in the Greek, the word is, if I can pronounce it correctly, elopia. El and it's the same word that is used in Matthew. When, garden, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane there in Matthew twenty six thirty eight, that same word is used there. The same Greek word is sorrowful, or it actually means grieved. Jesus was grieved and in great distress when he was there in the garden. And why? I think it was because he knew that he was he knew what he was going to face. And he knew he was about to experience separation from his father for the first time in eternity. I believe that Jesus knew that. And so he was losing his core his identity and his very self. When Jesus called this young man to give up his money, this man started to grieve. He was sorrowful. Think about where his identity, what his identity was wrapped up in. He, it was wrapped up in his possessions and his wealth. And when Jesus touched on that, it grieved him. And he walked away a sorrowful man. Kind of a sad ending to his story. That's all that we know about his life. And maybe he came to know the Lord Jesus later on. We don't know that. But this is where it ends about this man. And so I think that the problem is here, one of the problems with, with the rich young ruler is, is where he placed his identity. It was in his wealth and his possessions. He didn't need the grace of God. It was wrapped up. He had it wrapped up in his own possessions and his wealth. He could provide for himself. 
And so what Jesus was doing here was simply, he was revealing to him where he had placed his identity. And he left a sad man. He walked away sorrowful. He was grieved. It cut to the heart. Jesus got to the heart. And I want to notice what, after the rich young ruler leaves, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, and notice what Jesus says there. In verse 23, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. An interesting and maybe a confusing phrase that Jesus used about that it's easier for a camel to go, to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. That's not humanly possible for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. If I should have a needle up here, but if you look at an eye of a needle, it is, I struggle to get a piece of thread through it. Much less a camel. And I don't think Jesus was saying here that no rich person can be saved. In fact, the Old Testament has a, a, many examples of wealthy people. Men who followed God and were surrendered to the will of God, who were obedient. And I believe who will share in the kingdom of God. We read of them in Hebrews 11. But we have to also have to understand in the days of Jesus, the people had come to accept the teaching that the rich would automatically be in the kingdom. To them, being rich and being was a sign of, of God's blessing on their life. And so if you, if you think about this rich young ruler coming to Jesus, he was wealthy, he was rich. It was a sign of God's blessing on them. Their culture, that, that was their culture. In fact, if, if a person was poor and in poverty, it was a sign of sin in their life. That was their culture. But Jesus made it clear here that it's hard for a rich man to enter into his kingdom. Now I stand before you and, and I look at you all. And if we look at a verse like this, what are we to say? Who are we? We live in the, we are the top 2% of the richest in the world. Think about this phrase. It is hard for a man, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It doesn't say you can't, but it does say it is hard. And then he uses that phrase about being impossible or the camel. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of God. And this saying compares, or from what I understand, I've never been to, to Israel, but from what I understand, if you go over there, the tour guides will take you through, and I didn't verify this with anyone. Some of you have been there, but from what I understand, tour guides take you there, and they, they will show you a place where, the, where, where they use this scripture or this, 
illustration of the camels going through a smaller gate in a bigger gate. Have any of you seen that or been shown that when you were in Israel? Was this? I'm just curious. We have one. So I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I found this fascinating in studying this that a lot of people actually dispute that. Because people kind of take this passage and they say that this is what it's referring, or it's referring to a small, smaller gate in a, in a larger gate. And this is where the camels, if they would kneel down far enough, and they could crunch their way through there. There's a lot of dispute to that, and, and a lot of people would say that that's uh, very little evidence of that. So I'm not here to say whether that's true or false. But I, I would challenge us. I, I think if we just take it as Jesus said, the eye of a needle, that it's impossible for a camel to go through, or it's easier, he said, for, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. Absolutely impossible. And it's the same way spiritually. It is absolutely impossible for us to enter into the kingdom of God without Jesus. And Jesus' answer amazed his disciples. It went went against their thinking of the day. And so they said, well, then who can be saved? If this man here can't be saved, who can be? And Jesus does give some comforting words there. Verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And praise to the glory of God. All things are possible. It is possible for you and I to enter into the kingdom of God. All things are possible with God. And his response there in verse 26, I think that Jesus makes it clear that salvation is by the grace of God. With man. This salvation for everyone is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, God is a God who specializes in the impossible. History reveals that. God is a God who specializes in the impossible. And salvation is impossible apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just a few things that I want us to, to take away from this, young, this rich young ruler. I'm going to mention three things to learn from this account here of the rich young ruler. The first one, no one can inherit heaven on their own merit. We're, we're all tempted, or maybe I say we. I, th- I should maybe just say I. I, th- I think I'm often tempted to place my hope and trust in something or someone other than God. That's a temptation that we face. For the rich man in this story and many of us today, it was money and good deeds that this man was focused on. He, was, he had his focus on that. He thought by having enough money and being good enough, he could earn salvation. But he couldn't. Jesus made that very clear that he couldn't. And it's the same way for us. We can't either. A camel cannot go 
through the eye of a needle. Humanly speaking, that's impossible. And we cannot earn salvation. And yet with God, all things are possible. Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6 brings that out. Jesus was trying to get to this, to get this rich young ruler to, to see the, the dire condition that he existed in. And I think he was simply wanting to show him his need of a Savior. There was something, nothing that he could do to inherit eternity on his own merit. Second thing, the only thing you can worship that will satisfy you is Christ. The only thing that will, will satisfy you, the only thing that you can worship that will satisfy is Jesus. Everybody worships something or someone. And you actually get to choose who you worship and what you worship. Everyone has that choice. What we worship will be where we get our identity. And I believe that's, that's what it was for this rich young ruler. He worshipped something, and that was his wealth and possession. That was his identity. It becomes who we are. The problem is the things that most people worship cannot satisfy. And they, they only leave you wanting for more. I'll give you a quote from David Wallace Foster. And he was a staunch atheist. And... It's not like I say that we should learn anything from atheists. And yet, he says something that is fascinating to me. He, was, and he says this about worship. And I quote him. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is to what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spirit, spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. End of quote. This man, being an atheist, recognized that we all worship. We worship something. While he denied a God, he recognized he worshiped something. You worship, but there's only one thing that you worship that you can actually satisfy you. And so I find it fascinating that an atheist would say something like that. Because he's saying the truth, and yet he's missing all the truth that sets him free. The rich man worshiped his wealth and his ability to earn his way. And Jesus is showing him that worshiping those things will never get you what you hope for. Only God can ultimately satisfy. The third thing is Jesus offers a better way to live. But it will cost you, and it might hurt. Jesus offers us an invitation to a better life. Life the way that it intended to be with 
that, it, that it's intended to be lived. The invitation that Jesus gives is free, but the process can be painful because it does cost something. Yes, salvation is a free gift that you need to accept. You can't earn it on your own. And yet Jesus wants to do more than just save us. He wants to, re- he wants to redeem us and make us into the person that he can use. Because he loves us and because he wants the best for us. And yet that redemption process can be painful. That's what this, Jesus was offering this to the, this rich young ruler. He was offering him a better life. I think this man had everything the world had to offer, and still he felt there was something missing. And Jesus offered him a better way. And yet, but instead of accepting that offer, he simply walked away sad, a sorrowful man. And why? I think he, he was not willing to go through the pain the hurt of the process that Jesus was asking him to do. It meant leaving behind what, what he actually worshipped and what he, where his identity was. And at that moment, it, it seemed impossible for him to do that. And so I wonder how often it is that way for you and I. Jesus doesn't just want to save you. He wants you to experience life and life to the fullest. And yet that process can be painful and difficult at times. And so at times, I think we need to recognize that Jesus may may be taking us through a painful process in order to get him to be, to get to the place where he wants us to be, to be the person that he wants us to be. Being sold out for Jesus will require a committed life of trust and obedience. And it might be even a radical thing to do. If you read about Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 4 and 5, if you want to see something that a man, we would say he was radical in the things that God asked him to do. In fact, we would probably say it's, it's a little far-fetched and a little off the wall. But if you read there in Ezekiel chapter 4 and it goes into, five, into chapter 5 also, he was a prophet and God was asking him to prophesy. But there was a few things that, that God wanted to teach Ezekiel. And first he asked him to make a clay tablet and then to lay down on one side for 390 days. Now, I don't know if that's all he did for 390 days to lay on one side, but that's what it says there in Ezekiel. And then he was asked to lay on the other side for 40 days. Because he was to be an object lesson to the people of Judah who were in Babylon, showing them how God was punishing Jerusalem and the people of Israel and Judah. And so he was to be a, a living demonstration of this message. And God asked him to do strange things like cooking food with human waste and shaving his, his head and his beard and keeping a little bit of that hair with him to show that only a few people in Israel would be, shaved, would, would be saved. 
Now, we would, if, if God would ask you to do things like that, what would be your, your response? We would say that person is radical and probably off, off the rocker. And yet, I'm just bringing this out. Being sold out for Jesus may cost you something. It may require something. It, it might be a painful process to go through. God called Ezekiel to be a prophet. And he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. And it didn't bother him. Well, maybe it did bother him, but he went ahead and did it, no matter what the people thought. I think far too many people want to earn their salvation by doing a few good things and then go on living their life mostly as they please. We would rather do a few good things to earn something rather than going through the painful process of what, where God wants us to go and to do. One cannot earn salvation or buy their way into the kingdom. But we need to be willing to give up everything in order to totally devote ourselves to God and obey Him. And I believe the rewards for doing so far outweigh the sacrifices. And what one person needs to give up or sell out in order to follow Jesus will will look different than what God is asking of someone else. And so the question I ask myself and all of you, what do I need to sell out? What do I need to sell or get rid of in order to be sold out for Jesus? What is getting in the way of being fully committed and surrendered to following Jesus? What is keeping me from having eternal life? What is that one thing that God is asking you to get rid of because it's keeping you from that. And it might be something different than the person sitting next to you. For the rich young ruler, it was his wealth and his possessions. And the list could go on of what that might be for some of us sitting here. Maybe it's the love of money. Maybe it's work, being too busy and not having time for the kingdom for kingdom work, or even for your family. Maybe it's friends, having the wrong kind of friends. It could be broken relationships. Maybe it's misuse of time or leisure time. The things that we do, the things that we watch, the things that we listen to. What is keeping us, what is keeping you, what is keeping me from eternal life? And experiencing what God really wants you to have. Or maybe it's neglecting. Neglecting to read God's word and following and keeping his commandments. And so I wonder if you were to ask Jesus the question that the rich young ruler did about his eternal life. If you would ask Jesus that. If I were to ask Jesus that. What would he say? What would he say about my life? And then, how are you going to respond to that?
The rich young ruler walked away sad, a sorrowful man. So I want to challenge us this morning. How are you going to respond when God puts something, when, when he points something out in your life? How am I going to respond to that? If someone would come to you and ask what they need to have, what they need to do to have eternal life, how would you respond to that? I ask you how you would respond if Jesus would ask you that. If someone would ask you what they need to do to have eternal life, how do you respond to that? And so I, I found it fascinating the way that Jesus responded to them, to these two men, about keeping the commandments. But these were men who knew the law. He knew, they knew what it meant to live a life to honor God. These were religious men. And yet they were so focused on the law, and that was their identity, that they missed the point. They totally missed the point. And so I want to challenge us. If someone would ask you, what do they need to do to have eternal life? How do you respond to that? What would you say? There's a lot of scriptures that we could look at in the things that say and how that or what we need, what a person needs to do to have eternal life. And I just want to give a, a simple thing here for you to think about as far as how to respond to a person that is asking about eternal life. And maybe some of you have heard this before, but simply the ABCD of eternal life, of salvation. The ABCD. A, acknowledge your sin. Romans 3, 10 and 23. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, believe in Jesus Christ, Acts 16, 31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And then confess Christ in your sins, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then do God's will. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. So it's acknowledge, it's believe, it's confess and do. May God bless you. I invite you to kneel for prayer.